You're listening to a message brought to you by Christian Life Church Hereford. If you would like to find out more about us, go to www.clch.cc. This is the last in a series called Prepare for Revival that's based upon a word given to Herefordshire and its churches last year, saying that Herefordshire is pregnant with revival. And we come to church week in, week out. Some of you have been coming to church year in, year out. Some of you have been coming to church decade in, decade out. And you've probably heard that word once or twice before. Yep, seeing some nodding heads. Um, That should not change our level of expectation. That should not change our level that we receive these words when truth is spoken over the people of God. So this morning, we're going to be speaking about a God who is directly interested in you, directly interested in your heart, in your life, in what is happening in your inner being, in your soul. We're not talking about a word for some organization. We're not talking about some ideas or some concepts written in a book. We are talking about a God who cares directly, importantly, compassionately, sacrificially about you. Yeah? We believe in a God who wants to change you from the inside out. Not just so it stops when it gets into your fingertips, but it stops only when the fullness of his word is completed. Only when the fullness of time is ready to see Jesus come back again. We believe in a God who hasn't finished his story at the end of Revelation. We don't believe in a God who's finished his story when Jesus rose again from death. We believe in a God who is continuing his story through the lives of his chosen people, which includes you. If today you have already given your life to Jesus. So if there's anyone in this room who has not yet given your life to Jesus, there will be an opportunity today for you to respond to the God who has authorized your life and your salvation. So if you are feeling right now in a sense of, I've come to church today just like every other Sunday, I've come to church just like every other week, and I am not in a place, Jason, for you to start lecturing me on what my expectation should be, then we're going to (laughs) pray. We're going to pray about where we need to be in terms of responding to God's word. So do you want to put your hand on your heart? Holy Spirit, come right now and just minister to our hearts. We thank you that you are not the God of our emotions and our intellect. You are not the God of our experience, but you are the God of the Bible. You are the God who has thrown the stars into space. You are the God who has plunged the depths of the sea. You are the God who has plundered the depths of hell. There is nothing, God, that can withstand your love and your grace and compassion. So let's speak to our hearts right now. My heart I ask you to be, to be obedient and to listen in to what the truth of God is for me today. Let me not be led by my emotion. Let me not, let me not be led by my experience. But let me, Holy Spirit, be led by you ministering to me right now. Amen. So, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. This is the promise of God that we have over us today. Today. The word of God is universal, which means that when it was written, it kind of 
God breathed it into being that was already into being, and it has now become something that is applicable to all people through all times in all places. So we hold on to this verse with hope and with promise and with expectation. If. Being the last of five, we're doing this in a funny order, so you've probably heard all the other bits and pieces. If my people who are called by my name, I think um, my dad, Tony, did that one, um, will humble themselves. You had JP here a couple of weeks back. Um, turn from their wicked ways. Tim had the pleasure of talking about that one. Um, heal from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. That was Andrew. I think you had him a couple of weeks back. So today I'm preaching about the middle bit. If my people who will humble themselves will pray and seek my face. This verse comes just after a moment in history that is probably one of the most powerful times that God has ever moved in the history of the universe. We believe in a God of miracles, but there are times when God chooses to move in more miraculous ways than others. Don't ask me how, don't ask me why, I don't make it up, we read it and that's what we speak. So, a few chapters before this, we have God who has told the Israelite people to build a temple, which for the first time will house the presence of God. God, who created the universe who performs miracles, who rescues slaves, which is the story of the Israelite people so far, he is now saying, if you build me a space, I will inhabit it. So the people build the temple. They gather for their first, in a sense, their first ever Sunday service. The people come, and there is an electric sense of expectation in the room. Praise goes up, probably like it had done many times before. Voices are raised, prayers are being said. And then we're told, next verse, next slide. When the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. We believe in a God that is so powerful that even just his presence in the room will make you tremble and fall to your knees in its presence. Now that might not be your experience up until, up until now. But I, can, I, I know that many people in this room have been in that situation. They've been in a place, maybe full of hundreds or thousands of people, maybe full of a room with no one else but just being brought to their knees by the power of a glorious and majestic and a holy God. We don't come to God just based on our experience. We come to him based on who he is, and he is a God who is powerful, mighty to save. And I don't know why this happened now. I don't know why this happened at this particular point in time, but I know that there is a God who will break out of the normal, who will break out of heaven to break into the lives of his chosen people, who will break into the lives of those who he has chosen, who he loves. So again, if you're here this morning and you have given your life to Jesus and you have given yourself over to him with all of your heart, then God is breaking out of heaven to chase you down to make sure that you are aware of his presence in your life. So let's pray. Prayer is a bit like eating your vegetables at times. You know it's good for you, but it doesn't taste that great. <laughs> 
I'm going to be honest, we have, it's like, there's two things going, going to play here. There's like what God says and what God ha- what's, what ha- what's happened with God and what we read in the Bible. Then there's your day-to-day routine. What happens day in, day out. And they don't always match up. So I'm going to give you um, a very quick rundown of um, a few points that I really hope are just going to help your prayer life. Um, I take zero credit for any of this. This is taken from another book called um, How to Pray, because um, I had no clue after 30 odd years how to pray properly. Um, so I thought I'd read a book. Um, and it's by a guy called Pete Gregg. Um, a few of you guys might have got it yesterday at our, um, um, what, do you, what do you call it? Volunteer Day. We had a cracking volunteer day yesterday, about 60, 70 people um, who are leaders and ministry leaders throughout the church turned up to be served and receive honor from the leadership here. Um, So as a result of that, can we just say thank you to the guys that volunteer here and lead ministries? Round of applause, guys. You guys make this place work, not just because of the time that you give, but also the prayers that you give. The time that you sacrifice in prayer, ministry, and yeah, everything you do is just so valuable in this church. So back to prayer. Three steps. First step, keep it simple. There we go. Next one. There we go. Keep it simple. Um, you do not need a theology degree to pray good prayers to God. The Bible tells us that if you have given your life to Jesus, if you have accepted him as Lord and Savior of your life, then the Holy Spirit takes whatever words, no matter how feeble or weak or humiliating or badly pronounced they are, and makes them honorable and acceptable to God. Yeah? So you might have the worst understanding of God that anyone alive has ever had, but if you believe in Jesus, you're doing a lot better than those who don't. So the Holy Spirit takes your words, takes your desire, and says, right, God, I know what he said is a whole bunch of whatever, but please, his heart is for you. You don't need an honest degree. You simply need honesty. Come to God with the prayers that he's put on you, put on your heart, the prayers that only you can pray, which is the second point. We keep it real. Only you can pray the prayers that God has given you. There is no one else alive who has exactly the same makeup, background, situation, circumstance, family, desires, heart, emotion, experience that you have, meaning no one else can come to God with the same prayers that you pray. Your prayers are powerful, not because, not because you've earned them, but because God has made you. God has made you to pray the prayers that only you can pray. You go to your place of work. Let's say it's one of the most amazing jobs in the entire world that everyone loves doing, like being a traffic officer, giving people parking tickets. Who else is going to pray for that job unless it's you who's in that job? Well, (laughs) if God has placed you as a traffic officer, someone needs to pray for that job. It's going to be you. You might be insurance. You might be in tech. You might be in whatever job you are. But unless you're praying for it, who else is going to be praying for that? Who else on their daily devotionals has traffic officers, butchers, insurance salespeople, cold callers, double glazing salesmen? They all need the gospel. (laughs) They really need the gospel. Um, So only you can pray the prayers that you can pray. And the last one. Keep it up. 
Um, there's a guy called Frank Laubach, Laubach, something like that. He's um, a Christian educationalist um, from the early 1900s. That's 100 years ago, my days. And he, due to, due to the way that he just saw the Christian gospel and the way that he saw education, because of him, over 60 million people children have had a better understanding of the English language because of the work that he did in various countries around the world. And he had a picture of prayer that goes like this. Imagine a lake, and you're at the side of the lake, throwing stones in, one at a time. You throw the first stone in, and of course what happens? Throw it into the lake, and it sinks to the bottom. Gone. You might see the ripples, but the stone has gone, and there's no other telltale sign that anything ever happened. You throw the next stone in, a few ripples, also the sinks at the bottom, no other telltale sign. But you keep doing this, stone after stone, throw after throw, and eventually there will come a time when one stone that you throw will not sink to the bottom. It will rise above the water. It will land on top of all the stones that were, that were thrown before it. And he says, this is the prayer of breakthrough. This is the prayer that breaks the mold, that, that brings down the chaos and transformation around us. Your prayers might feel like stones at times, that you just throw them in one at a time. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> but you do not know which stone is going to be the one that breaks the water. You do not know which stone, how many stones you're going to need before you get the one stone that lies on top of every other. There are many of you in this room who have been praying for years or for decades for salvation for your sons and daughters, for salvation for your family, for healing for something that should have been dealt with years ago, for bitterness that's in your heart, for change to come in your family or in your workplace. Do not give up. Do not give up. Keep up the prayer. Keep it going. Revelation gives us a picture of, um, I think they call it a censer, um, that is full of the prayers of the, of the saints. And it's being filled. <laughs> so every time you pray, pray, you are filling up the anointed bowl of prayers of the saints. Never underestimate the power of your prayers. You might have heard it said that anything worth doing is worth doing badly. It sounds a bit backward, but prayer can be like this. Sometimes you might have to kind of, um, you might be in the sense of, I kind of you only pray when you realize you're in the mood for prayer. Only when, you've when you think, ah, oh, I've read my Bible today, now I can pray. Or I've been to church today, now I can pray. Or I haven't messed up in whatever sin remit is kind of one that you keep going back to time and time again because i've not sinned today now i can pray there is no reason that you have to wait for something to happen before you can come to god with prayer you might you can come to god with the stinkiest attitude of that week and he will still accept your prayers not because of who you are but because of what jesus has done for your heart and for your soul if we're going to be a church who's serious about prayer, we need to just pray. We can't wait for something to happen to then be in a situation or a stance of prayer. Prayer should be our reaction and our response to anything that happens in our lives. 
We can't just pray when the feeling's right. Because if that was the case, we would barely ever be praying. I can't remember which, which Bible verse it is, but it says, at all times, pray. At all times. We need to get into a situation with prayer that we don't just do it when we feel like it, but we do it because we need to. We do it because we know the value of it. Um, We need to get into a stage of disciplining ourselves with prayer. And I I don't just mean simply a case of, you know, I'm going to start praying at six o'clock every day for an hour. That might be you. You might be the kind of person that kind of January the 1st, right, alarm for six o'clock, going to get up for an hour, start praying. Day one goes great. Day two, it's five past six and you'll sleep on the sofa. You might be the kind of person with your kids that you say, we're going to pray every morning before school. And day one, you realize, shoot, the, the, hairs aren't even, the hair isn't even sorted. They haven't brushed their teeth. And you kind of chuck in a, half, a half-hearted prayer on the way into the car as you're kind of throwing the girls out into, the, into school. Or you might be of the ilk where you decide as a couple that you're going to pray before you go to bed every night. That might work for the first 10 days up until the first argument that you have where your pride is too big to say sorry that stops you two from praying together. There are always reasons and excuses to not pray. And many of you are experts in finding reasons. If you're you're honest, you're experts in finding reasons to not pray. Not today, God, because... But here's the thing, there was a time when you loved prayer, there was a time when you enjoyed prayer, there was a time when you got excited by prayer. And the phrase here is, delight without discipline eventually dissipates. We only come to prayer when we feel like it, when the the feeling's right. We're missing out. For those of us who are married, this is probably... um, one of the best pictures of prayer that we have. So, can I see a quick show of hands? Who here is married? Amazing. Cool. Sorry, I've lost my notes, so upside down now. So, we'll come back to that in a bit. Prayer, I liken it to the equivalent of a date night. So of those who are married, because it's all good if you're not married and doing this, if you're married, who has date night set up once a week? Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I think we're going to have to change the message, guys. This is going to be really awkward. So... (laughs) Once a month, that's good. I'm going to have to come back to this. This could be really awkward. (sighs) So, we had I'm just making sure I'm not going to. (laughs) So. At the beginning of the marriage, um, feelings, emotions, conversation flow with the wine, yeah? 
<laughs> but there will come a time when no matter how exciting your honeymoon was, no matter how exciting your marriage was, there will come a day when suddenly you wake up or you go to sleep and the feeling you have for your spouse was not the same as it was when you said, I do. That feeling might last for a day, a week, a month, a year, a decade before you suddenly realize you've got to do something about that. That's where you have to discipline, not just yourself, but your marriage into a state of desire. Now, this, is, this goes against what most people talk about. Marriage is fought for. Marriage is built upon a foundation of discipline around love and affection and compassion that we need to keep that marriage going. Yes? If you're here today hoping that your marriage is just going to sort itself out, you need some serious prayer, and I mean this. We have leaders here. We have people who have been through difficult times in their marriage who are happy to pray with you no matter where you are at in your marriage today. You might have been in your marriage for 10 years without anything exciting happening. There is hope for your marriage. Why? Because marriage is not a, a man-made thing. Marriage is God-made. Marriage is God-designed. Your marriage is meant to reflect and come from the picture in heaven, not the other way around. Marriage wasn't like a societal thing where, oh, look, man and woman go well together. This works. Let's keep that going. Man and woman were created purely because in heaven we have Jesus and his church. Two things that are different, amen. Jesus and the church which are different then leads us to man and woman who are different. Man and woman who are different become unified into marriage just like Jesus and his church become unified in heaven. We talk about commitment and covenant and a marriage and the sanctity of marriage, not because it's just a Christian thing that for hundreds and, well, for thousands of years people have believed. We believe it because God wrote it into the fabric of the universe. So when people start talking about how the church needs to get modernized, the church needs to grow up, the tradition needs to change, just remind that we do not get our cues from society. We do not get our desires. We, not, we do not get our uh, remit for how church works from what people tell us. We get our remit from God. I'm pretty sure... Some of you get home after a long day or a long week. The kids are in bed. It's a Friday night. Bottle of wine's open. I keep coming back to wine. I don't know. <laughs> Pray for me. Um, and this might be the first night in two months that you finally got together. Two hours later, you realize you're both at the opposite ends of the sofa, scrolling through Instagram or weather reports, just forgetting that it's even a Friday night or that there's anything else outside of your mobile screen. Now, I'm pretty sure when you got married and said, I do, that your goals were not sending each other Instagram memes or checking out weather reports. Yeah? That's not what you married into. If you're going to change that scrolling into some rolling, you need to turn and face each other. <laughs> I should have put a uh, PG rating on this. <laughs> Be very careful with my words. Being very careful with the words. 
Because marriage isn't, ju- marriage isn't just about what you are facing towards. It's about facing towards each other. You cannot grow your marriage if you're just looking at everything else apart from looking at the face of your spouse. Yeah? Intimacy is the goal of marriage. Intimacy. Now, I know there's a large kind of physical part of that. There's also an emotional part as well. Um, for those of you who kind of are interested in these kind of things, when I say intimacy, there's, like, there's kind of like, se- there's like seven different levels of intimacy. Um, you know, sexual is one of them, but there's also emotional, financial, familial, there's a whole bunch of others as well. But there are levels of intimacy that you are meant to be having with your spouse because you are creating in your, in your couple and soon to be family a copy of what is happening on heaven and in the earth. When God made Adam and Eve and put them together, he said, go forth and multiply. Have dominion over the earth. So you as a couple, when you come together and you're intimate, what happens when you're intimate is hopefully nine months later, there's fruit of that intimacy. Yeah? You are taking dominion over what is happening in your family. Now, it starts off with two of you. And the intimacy that you have bears fruit. Now, that fruit is offspring, children. Yeah? But here's the thing. Where passion physically produces offspring it's only going to be intimacy that creates a family. We live in an age where there are lots of kids that have biological parents but do not have mum and dad in the same home. Do they still have a mum and dad? Yes, they do. But we, we call them broken families. Or they're kind of PC'd up now. What do they call them now? Um, blended families. That was not God's initial design for marriage. The same intimacy that created the offspring becomes the same root of intimacy that builds and creates and sustains the family. The same intimacy that created the offspring is the same root of intimacy that builds and sustains the family. If any of you look into um, like child psychology and how to best bring up your kids, um, however many books there are on how to discipline your kids and how to kind of you know, build them up, one, if not the best way to show your kids that they are loved, to build them up in a safe, secure, established environment, is not just to put your entire focus on them. As mum and dad, who should you put your focus on in terms of showing love and care to? Each other. If your faces turn away from each other to the intimacy that created the family, onto the family itself, the fruit of the intimacy, you break the intimacy that created and should be the establishment, the foundation of that family. Does that make sense? If I take my focus away from the intimacy that built this family, it gets broken. Even though the children are amazing, incredible acts of God, miracles in their own right, 
if I focus on them, the foundation starts to crumble. How many times in your life have you focused on the miracle or have you focused on the outcome? You focused on the fruit and you've forgotten the intimacy that you once had with God. Um, Hebrews tells us to honor, honor the marriage bed or to keep the marriage bed honorable. And it's not long before the marriage bed. No matter how many times you will say to your partner, we are not doing co-sleeping. That baby is not coming into this bed. <laughs> it doesn't take long before that baby is suddenly between the two of you in your bed the marriage bed becomes the family bed. One of the most exciting things that I ever did when I was growing up was um, Saturday mornings, jumping into my parents' bed. My parents hated it. I loved it. <laughs> Best bit was when... Um, <laughs> still do, yeah. Ring up on Saturday morning. Hi. <laughs> I bring the whole family now. Um, Best bit was when um, my mum would jump on my dad and um, we would kind of be tickling his feet from the end of the bed and he would be hating it. He, you could see the kind of the veins like throbbing on his head like kind of, oh, get off me. It was beautiful. Torture goes down great for building families. Um, sorry. Um, but I'm sure you guys have very similar situations of growing up or building your own family. But if you don't, if you don't, this family around church, this family built around faith and fellowship, is a space where you can experience family afresh. You might have never experienced the intimacy of a good family. You might have never experienced the hope or the foundation of a good, secure family. Know today that that is not God's intention. God's intention is that you're part of a family full of love, full of faith, full of hope, of goodness and compassion and love. He calls his family church. Um, when me and Paula started dating, um, I don't know how this came about, but we ended up, um, I ended up teaching her a whole lot of different kissing techniques. <laughs> I don't think she's heard this bit yet. Um, so, now the first kissing technique you've all heard of before, okay? And it's not French kissing, don't worry. Um, Eskimo kissing. Eskimo kissing? Yeah, Eskimo kisses? Yeah, we know Eskimo kisses, don't we? Yeah, that, you, you all thought something different, didn't you? Yeah. We, we'll pray. Um, so, of course, Eskimo kisses when you rub each other's noses, yeah? Okay. Then, of course, there's um, butterfly kisses. Anyone's done butterfly kisses? Oh, this is, okay, so... So eyelashes, so you kind of, you, you put your eyelash on their cheek and you just kind of lightly flutter. <laughs> Don't ask. We, we were young, we were naive, we were dating. Save it for marriage. Um, and then the last one, of course, is old people kissing. <laughs> now, <laughs> Paul is really embarrassed at the back. Now, this, this is only funny because about 
three weeks ago. Val <laughs> knows what's coming up. Three weeks ago, Camilla, Camilla who's our four-year-old daughter, comes up to me and goes, <laughs> she goes, can I have an old people's kiss, Popeye? <laughs> and Paddle's just like, oh my days. And um, <laughs> the same intimacy that me and Paula had in dating becomes the same stories and history that your kids have when they grow up. There is a story and a foundation that you have as a couple, as a family, that your, your children will build upon and build on. But here's the thing. This is the type of intimacy that God is talking about when he says, pray and seek my face. God tells us to seek his face. To look him in the eye. To look at his glory. To be present with him. So with all that talk on marriage and intimacy is that the same way that you see your relationship with god when we say seek my face there's a story in the bible which i think kind of complements this really well um, and it's the story of esther so in the book of the bible in esther the book um, it's a weird story because the word God is not mentioned once in the whole story, in the whole book. The word God isn't there. The only thing that connects Esther to the Bible is the fact that it's about Jews, the fact that it's about Israelites. But the story of Esther is about a young, exceedingly beautiful woman who gets picked to be part of a king's harem. So, of course, there you have kind of the physical side of intimacy. And alongside this, Esther suddenly finds out when she's in the, when she's in the kind of the king's harem that there is a plot from someone else in kind of the king's authority, the king's kind of um, council, who wants to commit genocide against the Israelites, who wants to kill every single one of Esther's people. Now, when she then finds out about this, we're then told this. Ah, no. So when she found out about this, the guy who told her said to her, because you have the ear of the king, go and speak to him and maybe he can save us. But her response was this. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except to the one whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. So that even though Esther, despite being a chosen one among his harem, among the king's harem, who eventually then becomes queen, in law, she, she realized that if she was ever to put herself in front of the king, their law, their rule, dictates that she should be killed. This picture is one of the greatest pictures of the gospel that we have. Because we, even though having been chosen, even though having been made 
holy and righteous and pure by the blood of Jesus in our lives, when we accept him into our lives, we come before a king who by law has absolute authority and right to kill us. Esther, in order to save her people, had to risk her life, had to sacrifice her life to put herself in the direct line of sight to seek the face of the king. Thankfully, when she did it, the king, instead of killing her, which was, he was completely in his right to do, he holds out the golden scepter and invites her into his courts, invites her into his throne room. And this is the picture that we have of God and us. You see, seeking the face of God, many of us might see it or have heard of it as a very kind of emotional kind of thing, all about our feelings and senses and all of that. But the heart of it is that it is an extremely dangerous move to make. God, who keeps the universe spinning, can stop it at any second. God, who sustains your life, can stop it at any second. God, who keeps you alive and breathing, can change it at any second. Seeking the face of God is risky, but it brings great reward. I want to finish just with two, two final pictures. There's, there are two ways that you can kind of seek something, or two ways that you can kind of see something, or see it in comparison to what you do see. There's something called your field of vision. And your field of vision is simply everything that you can see. So everything in front of you that your eyes perceive is in your field of vision. Another way that you can talk about what you see is called line of sight. Now line of sight is when you have a direct line into something or a target. Direct a line of sight In communication the line of sight is the direct path from a transmitter to receiver and the obstructions that might fall in that path. A clear line of sight is important to communication. So here's the question for now. When we talk about God, seeking God's face, are we seeking his face just to be part of our field of vision? Is God just another aspect of what you see in your life? Is God in what you see alongside your work, your family, your hobbies, your past, your bitterness, your forgiveness, your dreams, your hopes? Or is God in your line of sight? Is God the thing that you are moving yourself around and orienting yourself around so that he is the thing that you are targeted on? So that he is the one thing that no matter what else is in your field of vision, you are focused on him and him alone. 
when we seek the face of God, he has no other place to be other than our line of sight. Some of you in the room here might be convicted of two things. You might be convicted that if you were to be honest with yourself, maybe God is just a, a part of the bigger puzzle of your life. He's just a piece, it might be a big piece, a big piece of your life. But really, he has no priority or precedence over your time, over your resources, over your finances, than anything else that comes in. And you feel that actually, if you're going to make, take this God decision properly, if you're going to take this Jesus life seriously, you need to take that piece out and just make it cover everything else. You might be here thinking that actually you wouldn't even consider God as part of your field of vision. You're just here in church because that's just what you do. Church is part of your vocabulary. Church is part of your life. But talking about God and knowing him and being close to him and experiencing him, that's, that's weird. God says to pray and seek my face. Today, you can come into a relationship with God that surpasses everything you've seen, experienced, or heard of before. No matter what your background is, no matter if this is the first time you come to know Jesus, no matter if it's the 78th time you've come to know Jesus, God is waiting for you to turn to him. If you want God to hear your prayers, if we want God to forgive our sins and to heal this land, then we, not just as individuals, but as a church, need to start seeking God, seeking his face. If we're going to be serious about revival happening, not just around us, but in this county, then we have no other option than to seek God's face to pursue that intimacy, to pursue that risk. So I encourage each of you, I really do, I plead with you to take those steps to make God the centerpiece of your life. Let's pray. If you want to receive something fresh from the Holy Spirit this morning, if you, in your heart, are thinking, I need to make this 
I need to make you, God, the most important thing in my life. If you're think, sat there thinking, God, I actually want to turn and face you this morning, then I'd like you to stand right where you are right now, please. So this moment is just between you and God. This moment is between you and the Spirit. You've made the declaration in your heart that you are turning to seek God's face. Holy Spirit, we just pray, come right now, Lord God. Holy Spirit, come in your power, God, speak to each person that's Stood up right now, God. In the power of your spirit, God, let your love just flow into each of these people right now, Jesus. God, we know that you love them, we know that your heart is for them, God. Holy Spirit, come bring your blessing right now, God. Bring your anointing. Over each person in this room that stood up, over each person that in their heart has decided they want to follow you, that they want to seek your face, Jesus. God, let your face shine upon them. Let your glory shine upon them. Let your hope and your love shine upon them, Father. God, give them a blessing, Father. God, give them intimacy right now, Jesus. God, let your fire, let your fire just burn in their hearts again, Jesus. Let your passion just burn in them again, Jesus. We ask right now, God, that you just bring a fresh heartbeat into their lives. Ah, oh, just like honey, just like honey dripping over their hearts, God, bring your love, bring your compassion, bring your desire over them right now, Jesus. As you've turned to face God, as you've turned to look at him, just in, in your heart, let you, let you mutter it, let you speak it out. Just tell him how much you love him. Tell him how much you want him. Tell him how much he means to you. Look into his eyes. Look into what he's got for you. He's looking at you with love. He's looking at you with compassion. He's looking at you with eyes that will give everything and more to keep you safe, to keep you whole, to keep you close. You are looking into the eyes of a God who has sacrificed everything so that you can look at him. You are looking into eyes that will accept you no matter what you have done. You are looking into eyes that will love you no matter what you have done or will do. You're looking into eyes that accept you. You're looking into eyes that know everything about you. You're looking into the face of the one that made you, the face of the one who cried out your name before the beginning of the world.
You're looking into a face who has so much love for you that you will spend every day of the rest of your life trying to understand it and still, when you get to the end of your days, have so many more to understand about what he has for you.